If you have your Bibles, turn it to Titus chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start a new series today. Um, We're going to spend some time talking about the grace of God. Uh, God's grace is something that, I mean, this is huge. It's a big aspect of of our faith and one of the best characteristics that God uh, has for us. You know, something that we we don't deserve but we get. And we're really going to dive into grace. So before we do that, as you're turning your Bibles there, I'm going to pray for us this morning as we dive in. Uh, to the grace of God. And I'm excited to do this one, especially today, uh, and you'll see why when I get there. <laughs> uh, God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that we get to dive into your word, that we get to talk about uh, grace, the, the amazing free gift that you give us that we don't deserve. God, and I pray that as we, as we start to unpack this starting this week, you, you reveal things to us about ourselves, you reveal us uh, things about you, and that we have um, a really, really good time, a convicting time, a challenging time, but ultimately a growing time learning more about you and your grace. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. So uh, we're, we'll spend probably four weeks really unpacking grace and, and the different aspects and characteristics and things that grace does for us in our lives. Now, I put this up online, but, but a question I wanted to, to ask to, to fire the series off is, have you ever really taken the time to think deeply about grace? If you've grown up in the church, uh, you, you've probably heard the word before. You probably heard, you know, we, we just sang a song about grace this morning. Many of us know the song, Amazing Grace. So, so the grace is a very common word, but have we ever really dove into it? I mean, have you really dove into it and studied it? Um, the, the topic of grace is vast. Uh, certainly more than I think we can cover in just uh, four or five weeks or so. But, but I know that we begin this journey together. Uh, to each of us, we can spend a lot of our lives really diving into personally more studying on grace and in your walks with God um, at home and in your quiet time and journaling time. Now, today I want to talk about uh, grace and forgiveness. Uh, but more how grace is so much more than forgiveness. Sometimes those words get really plugged in together. And you ask someone, what is grace? Oh, that's God forgiving me. And that's true. There's a big aspect of that, but I think grace is so much more than forgiveness. That's one aspect of a much broader topic. And today, I want to talk about grace, specifically um, how it gives us a new way to live. Now, like I said, it's an incredible thing. We've probably heard the word a lot. But today, I want to talk about how if we want to live life under the banner of grace and, and in and through Jesus, there's another word that's going to come into it, and that word is truth. Grace in truth. Now, let's all get on the same page with grace first. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace, getting something that we don't deserve. And this is sometimes confused with mercy. So there are some people that say grace and mercy are the same, but mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So grace, getting something you don't deserve, and mercy, not getting what you do deserve. And this series is going to focus on grace, a real heavy emphasis on the grace part of it. Um, like forgiveness, for example. Something that we get that we definitely don't deserve. Excuse me. We definitely don't deserve it, but God gives it to us anyways. And to understand why we don't deserve this, we're going to really unpack some truth. Grace and truth. How do they go together? How do they work together? And why there's a good balance between grace and truth. Or we have to have a balance between grace and truth. You see, we live under the amazing grace of God and the freedom we have through it. But if we just focus on truth, then we could have some cold, hard truth facts. They're not the most uplifting things to think about. Nobody likes to read this verse on its own. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Famous verse. I know I've used that one up here before. Most people that have been going to church for a long time, they know this verse. It's an important verse, but it's not the most uplifting verse. 
It does put everyone on the same playing field, though, right? It, it takes everyone, no matter where you are, new believer, non-believer, old believer. It puts us all in the same playing field. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. No one's exempt. We all mess up. And the truth is, the more you read scripture, especially uh, in Romans where we find this, it gets worse before it gets better. You get to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and it says, for the wages of sin is death. Real uplifting, right? Going through Romans here. Paul says, not only do we all sin, but now we fall short, and the wages of that is death. We get to die because of our sin. Leave encouraged, right? It doesn't always feel that way, but then we get to the amazing parts of Scripture, which make this so important, so important, where grace and forgiveness come in. We have God who sends Jesus. Jesus dies for our sins, wipes our sins away, and we get to spend an eternity with him. What an amazing example of grace. We see clearly what we deserve, what, we, what our payment is for what we do, and how God comes in and says, but you're not going to get that. I'm going to give you grace. But God's grace doesn't only mean forgiveness. There's something so much more than this antidote, right, for our sin. Would God leave us alone in our rage? Would he leave us alone with our addictions? Would he leave us alone in isolation? I don't think so. Because his grace gives so much more than leaving you where you're at. And I think the problem we come into is not with, with God and his grace. I think the problem sometimes is our understanding of his grace and the understanding of how it really is applicable and how it plays out in our lives and God's ongoing consistent work in our lives when we're following him. You see, Jesus will not leave us ever. This is a phenomenal thing. He will not leave us ever. And I think anyone who, who says that you know, God's grace only extends in a certain way, I think they're really misrepresenting how amazing God is. Because God's grace is more than just forgiveness. It's a part of his characteristic that comes into us. And something we want to understand today is there is a balance we live with grace and truth. How many of you guys know someone who is all truth and no grace? They just tell you how it is all the time, the cold, hard truth. And it's a, they don't even care how you feel about it, right? Here are the facts. And they just let you have it. We probably know quite a few of those people in our lives, and you may not go to them for advice. Maybe Some things you may go to them for advice for, but sometimes you're like, I don't want to talk to that person. They're going to make me feel real bad. It's going to be true, but I'm going to feel real bad hearing it. Or maybe you know someone who operates strictly on grace. You go to them, and you can say, here's what's going on, and they won't tell you the truth. They'll say something just to make you feel good just to make you feel, feel like you're gonna, you're, you're, everything's fine, don't worry about it. And I think falling too far on each side of that is not the best thing. Someone who's all truth, I think there's an element of grace that they'll need as they deliver the truth. Someone who's all grace can totally miss the point of bringing truth in when they tell you things that could be honest, but if they're, just, if they're omitting the truth, there's a big part of it they're missing. And Jesus modeled this perfectly. He showed a life that had the perfect balance of both grace and truth. And we see this periodically through scripture. In John chapter 4, we meet the Samaritan woman at the well. Again, many of us may be familiar with this story. But a woman comes to get water, and Jesus is there, and he begins to dig into her shame-filled past. I mean, he starts just really telling her things that she has done. And he unpacks some very intimate areas in her life. He calls her out. He says, you've been married five times, and now you're living with someone that you're not married to. He speaks the truth to reveal her sin, but he doesn't revel in her sin. He reveals, but he doesn't revel. And he begins to then speak grace and truth about her life. But he starts showing him, her the grace of who he is and what he offers and the life she can have when she acknowledges who he is. And it's an amazing revelation she has when she hears the truth and then experiences the grace of God that comes with it. 
Jesus gives it to her perfectly. She's face-to-face with the Messiah, and he shows her how much hope she has to move on with. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus dines with sinners. I know, big bad move, right? A lot of Pharisees thought this was the most horrible thing he probably could have done. He chose to go around the sinners and have dinner with them. He came to hang out with the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the, the, the people that were up and coming and, and ridiculed. He said, I'm going to go hang out with you guys. His mission about people, uh, all because God, they matter to God no matter where they are or where they've been, he wanted to show them God loves them regardless. He brings grace to all these situations with the tax collectors and the sinners. He says, I'm going to have a meal with you guys, and you're going to experience the grace of, of God. These people had an incredible encounter with Jesus where he was able to show them truth but also welcome them into his loving presence. And that didn't go well with people who operated strictly on truth and didn't know how to show grace. In Luke chapter 23, we see Jesus on the cross and he gives someone a last-minute reprieve. This man gets a last-minute reprieve. There are two thieves on the cross. One is still playing to the crowd, living for others with no regard for God or what he's doing. But the other one realizes there's something different about this this man in the middle. There's something different about this this guy who people are saying is the Messiah nailed to this cross. And he throws up a Hail Mary prayer. He says, remember me in this moment. Remember me. And God, Jesus right there doesn't look at him and say, well, you're up here next to me, man. You screwed up. Jesus doesn't look at him and just deliver a hard truth. What Jesus says is, you will be with me today in paradise. The man is experiencing the truth. He has all the truth he needs. He's nailed to the cross and dying. And Jesus shows him this incredible grace and lets him know that, guess where you get to wake up in just a little bit? You're going to be with me, and it's going to be amazing. A woman is caught in the act in John chapter 8. A woman, literally, she's brought to him, caught in the very act of adultery with a group of men ready to stone her. And I know that as I read this, I wonder, where is the guy in this story? No, they dragged her out ready to kill her. They, they leave the guy out, but she's brought to Jesus, and they start condemning her, giving the truth. It was truth. What she did was wrong, and the penalty for that truth was to be stoned. They were throwing a whole bunch of truth haymakers at her, and they're expecting Jesus to do the same. Jesus doesn't put down what she did, but he shows her an incredible act of grace. He gives truth to the people who brought them to her. He tells them, let's he who has not sinned cast the first stone, and that's a truth bomb they can't even handle. And then he looks at the woman, and what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. It's an amazing amount of grace in the middle of her truth that she gets to experience who Jesus is. He doesn't say, it's no big deal. He says, go and sin no more. He acknowledges what she does and then shows her that she's forgiven. In all these situations, the truth would demand punishment for the actions of these people. In Scripture, the punishment was death or stoning or ridicule, and that's what the truth was. Jesus never denied what was going on with these people, but he showed them an incredible hand of grace and how much it was more than just forgiveness in their lives. Balance with these two things is forgiveness, because if you let one replace the other, we fall into a trap where we have all truth and no grace, or all grace and no truth. If you want an example of all truth and no grace, talk to kids. Yeah, if you have kids, you have those moments where kids will give you the biggest truth bomb ever. When I was a children's pastor, one of the things that, you know, would if, if I'm going and giving a lesson, if one kid just goes, oh, this is so boring, it's true. That kid is bored out of his mind. There's, there's no grace. That is just truth in that moment, right? But I found these letters that kids wrote to teachers. These are some truth bombs, and these are, I hope you find these as funny as I did. Kids can give the brutal truth. One student wrote to his teacher, said, Mrs. Munn, 
you were a good teacher this year, but not my favorite ever. Not even close. <laughs> Sorry for teachers in here if you've received a letter like that. Another student wrote to their teacher and said, Mrs. Stevens, I'm sorry your cat died, but at least you won't smell as dirty anymore. <laughs> no grace. Mrs. Mandy, you can move my seat anywhere and I will still talk a lot. I just will. Think about that this summer. <laughs> and then the last one. <laughs> Mr. Michaels, you made the second grade fun. I know you will enjoy the bar this summer. Kids say the darndest things, right? <laughs> Kids, though, they can come and give all truth and no grace. And it can be funny, but however, there's more truth in these letters that these kids see for their teachers. Truth without any grace is not always the best. And I know that the one that got me was, I know your cat died, but at least you won't smell dirty anymore. I was like, oh, man, I know that kid meant all well. Like, there's, there's something good here. But the way it comes across was the no grace method, right? We can fall into that trap. We can fall into living a life of so much truth that we don't bring grace into it. Truth without grace, it breeds a self-righteous legalism that pushes the world away from Christ. It pushes the world away from Christ. Grace, the unmerited and unearned favor of God. Us getting what we don't deserve. We can't earn this. We don't deserve this. We can't bargain for it. Regardless of past failures and, and previous shortcomings, we simply open our hearts and hands and we get to receive it. We don't deserve this amazing thing. John 1, 16 and 17 says, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love that. Grace after grace. Blessing after blessing. Things we don't deserve. See, the Christian life, this, this isn't a thing motivated by do's and don'ts, but by his grace because it's, <clears throat> excuse me, because of that grace, we live to please Jesus. Not the world, but we live to please him. You see, if you look at all the laws that were in the Old Testament, if you look at those without viewing them through the lens of grace that Jesus gives us, these laws don't lift you up. The law doesn't look like something to make you feel better. It looks like something that can make you feel much, much worse. The law doesn't help you to be good. It shows how bad you are. The law doesn't look like something to give you peace or joy. It looks like something that's just going to make you feel really guilty. The law doesn't help you measure up. It just shows how short we fall. But once you filter that lens, you say you look at the law with the grace of God, then you get to see the law is there to make you feel, even though you don't, you're not worthy, he loves you anyways. It's not there to, to make you show how bad you are. It's there to show how much God loves you. It's not there to make you feel guilty. It's there to make you feel convicted. And there's a difference between the two. <clears throat> God's grace shows us that he accepts us as we are, but he loves us way too much to leave us as we are. And that, I think, is one of the great things about God. He says, I love you. I see you. That doesn't mean you stay there. That means I have so much more for you, so much more you want to go. With football season come up, everyone's you know been talking about sports and preseason. You see your quarterbacks playing, and what does everyone say? Oh, I think they're going to get better. Can you imagine if your your rookie player came in and they never got any better than they were that first day? You get really frustrated with them, right? You're like, oh man, if they would just learn to do this. And I'm not saying God gets frustrated, but I'm saying that principle applies to us. Where where we are in life, God says, I see you. I see where you mess up. I see your sin. I see where you struggle, and I love you. Now we get to move forward with this. His grace allows us to see, that, to see the truth in our lives and get better because of it. Now, there's a famous nursery rhyme that all of us know. 
Humpty Dumpty. You all know this, right? This is not just a ended with my generation thing. Humpty Dumpty had an unsolvable problem, right? All the king's horses and all the king's men. I think you said the right line. It was all different parts, but I think we got it. They couldn't put him back together again. You see, we have a problem too, but ours has a solution, and it's found in the truth of Jesus. People need to hear the truth of brokenness and fallenness, but with the hope of grace that comes with it. This goes beyond legalism. It goes beyond mean-spirited truth-telling. There's a, a Humpty Dumpty rewrite that another pastor wrote, and it went like this. It said, Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall, so that regardless of death and in spite of sin, through grace he might put us back together again. I love that God sees our brokenness, and it, we don't end up like Humpty Dumpty, where it's like, well, you're broken, sorry, you're done. God gets to put us together because he was right there the whole time. So that's, that's truth without grace. Now, grace without truth, it breeds a moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. It keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. Now, there's truth in what we said in Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, a saying, uh, someone, another pastor said this, any concept of grace that makes us feel more comfortable than sinning is not biblical grace. Any concept of grace that makes us feel more comfortable sinning is not biblical grace. Titus chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11, says this, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness, godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible righteous and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse himself, to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. I love that the scripture talks about how much grace needs truth. Now, imagine picking up your car. I know we have some car people in here. I am not a car person. If it turns on and goes, my car is working perfectly. As soon as it makes a sound, I can pop the hood and thus ends my knowledge of how to fix the problem of what's going on under the car. I don't know. But imagine going to your, you take your car for a tune-up. Mechanic looks at it and says, your car's in great shape. So you pay your bill, you go home. Later on that day, you find out uh, your, your brakes malfunction and you find out you were out of brake fluid. Something was majorly wrong. And so your car, you, you could have died, right? It was a drastic thing. So you go back to the shop and you tell the technician, like, why, why didn't you tell me? And the technician says, well, I didn't want you to feel bad. You know, plus, to be honest, I was afraid that if I told you really bad news, you'd get upset with me. I want this to be a safe place where you feel loved and accepted. So if, if I told you that, you know, your brakes were out and it was going to cost us much, you'd be furious. And so I didn't tell you. You'd probably be pretty mad, right? You'd probably say, look, I came to my car. I didn't come to have a good time. I came because my car was broken. Something needed to be fixed. I need the truth. Imagine going to the doctor for a checkup, and the doctor says, you are a physical specimen. You leave the doctor like, yeah, everything is awesome. Later that day, uh, you, you realize maybe you're, something's hurting in your chest. Something's wrong. You go back to the doctor, and you find out that an artery was clogged. And you are just one bad moment away from visiting the Grim Reaper. You go to the doctor and you tell the doctor, Doc, why didn't you tell me that, that something was seriously wrong? And the doctor says, well, I knew your body was in really bad shape. But, uh, but if I tell people that, they get offended, they get upset, they don't want to hear that. So I just told you you were good. I want you to feel safe, I want you to feel good and accepted, I want you to come see me. So I told you everything was fine. Would you like this doctor? 
No, right? You would not be happy. You get angry. You'd say, Doc, when it comes to my health, when I came in for, I need the truth. I need to know. When something matters to us, we don't want the illusion of comfort based on pain avoidance. You can't have the illusion of comfort based on pain avoidance. So the question then is, how much does your soul matter? How much does your soul matter to you? Truth is more than just the facts. It's not just something we act upon. It's something that acts upon us. We don't create truth. We get to discover it. And I love that when we discover Jesus' truth, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. This perfect balance of what he is for us. Imagine attending a church where you hear this message. Don't worry if you mismanage your life at all. Nobody here will ever confront you because we don't like conflict. Maybe we'll talk about sin. Maybe we'll talk about sin out there, but nobody will ever ask you about sin because then you won't feel good about yourself. Our goal is to let you leave church feeling really, really good about everything in your life. Very grace-filled church, right? Is that a truth-filled church? Not necessarily. Now, it's hard to convey these messages, though, with the balance of grace and truth, because the last thing you want to do is have people come in and say, you're a sinner, you're dirt, you're dying, you're going to hell, peace be with you, God loves you. The all truth but no grace church, right? We don't want that. We love to hear about grace, but the danger is we can misunderstand grace and start to, to worship feeling good instead of worshiping Jesus. I don't want to worship a good feeling, I want to worship a good God. That's what I want more than anything. And with this God that we're told about, John, John says this, we behold his glory, the glory of the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And when it comes to our lives, we need truth. We need a lot of good truth. I know I need people in my life that are gonna specifically speak truth into my heart because I have a sin problem. I do. Scripture says we all have a sin problem. And we need people in our lives that are, going to, that are going to challenge us, that are going to convict us and say, hey, I see this, but do it in a way that shows grace and truth at the same time. You don't want the person who's just going to beat you down. You want the person who's going to be able to say, here's what I see going on. How can I help you through this? And I love that we have a God that wants to do that all the time. John writes this, if we claim we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I don't want to make that claim. I want, to be, I want to have people around me that say, Dustin, I see this in you. Sometimes we don't even see the things that we're doing, but other people around us can see it. And I want people that are going to be able to lovingly call me out, but also call me out to, to let me know that I feel convicted with it. I need people like that in my life. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The truth is, sin involves self-deception, Right? We can start to justify things. We can say, this is, this is really not so bad. But what's sobering about this is self-deception is going on inside me. It's going inside us. And we don't even notice it. And truth can be a big deterrent for self-deception. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and they have truth problems. This church, if you read through Ephesians, Paul's writing to him. He says, you guys want to hear all about all this stuff that makes you feel good. All this good stuff. He's writing and says, instead of speaking truth and love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. He says you need to hear this. You need to see this balance of grace and truth. Consider uh, materialism, something that I know a lot of people, um, including myself at different times, can struggle with. When materialism comes in, we can look at someone and say, oh man, that person has a bigger house. They've got that massive 80-inch TV. Wow, that is amazing. And you can start saying, you know, truth is, I feel a little jealous. I really want that. 
can imagine watching all my, all my shows and my teams and everything on that massive TV and all the rooms in the house. Oh, and you start feeling like, I want that. But instead of admitting that you're jealous, what sometimes uh, some we can do is we can say, I don't want to admit jealousy because that would make me feel bad about myself. So instead you think, you know what? This person's a little materialistic. Look at all this money they're spending on themselves. Are they even giving to any ministries? Are they, are they even, do they even help other people? God, help them see the error of their ways. And you start turning it back on, on you, so you make yourself feel good and put it on somebody else, right? So that's not what I want to think. I add to my envy and my judgmentalism. I deceive myself into thinking that's what I really have as a spiritual concern, but it really is a self-deception. It really is me putting a focus off of myself and onto somebody else. Truth is needed for stability in our lives, but we can't let it become so religious that we start beating people with it. We can't become so right that we're wrong. I want to learn from Jesus' ultimate example of grace and truth. Now, I love it that <coughs> John, the, the, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He walked with, talked with, and lived with Jesus for three years. He ate with him. He ministered with him. He watched Jesus up close and personal. And he says here, he repeats here, Jesus is both grace and truth. John 1.14, he says, The word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you were to evaluate yourself right now, what would you think? Put a percentage. How, what percentage am I grace? What percentage am I truth? Just no one needs to shout out an answer. It's all for you. But just think about it. You know, when you think about your life, where do I fall in this, this category? Do I show more grace than truth? Do I show more truth than grace? Do I show all truth and no grace? Where do you balance out? Because I know that if we want to be a model like Jesus, Jesus was the perfect example of both grace and truth. Now, he had something that probably is almost impossible to reach. What percentage was Jesus? It wasn't 50-50. Jesus was 100% truth and 100% grace at the same time. 100% grace and 100% truth. The church is at its best when it's most like Jesus. When we're able to show people 100% truth and 100% grace, anyone who walks through those doors, no matter where they're at, when we're able to model that, that is us at our best. When the church dispenses both grace and truth and refuses to let go of either. Jesus said, the truth is, you're a sinner. But Jesus also says, the grace is that I don't condemn you. I want to be with you. Romans 5.8 says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God wants to be with people. And I love that. In the, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our brokenness, the, the midst of, of the truth that we fall short, he still wants to be with us. He wants to be with his people. If you are to pick a single theme that runs from the Bible from beginning to end, it would be that the Bible is about a relationship with a God who wants to be with you. There's some, some great phrases in the Bible one of the great things in Genesis, it says, the man and his, his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden on a cool day. I love this. They heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden with them on a cool day. The point of this phrase is, is walking is something you typically do with people you care about, right? You typically don't call someone that you absolutely do not like at all. Say, hey, let's go for a walk. Not top of your list, right? You, you choose to go and hang out, go to the park, go on walks, go do something with people that you care about. So the point of this, is, the point of this passage, I think, is this. The two people in love, they go for a walk. It's not about the walk. It's about who you're spending time with. 
It's about the being with. And we were made to be with God. We were made to walk with God. But the man and the woman sin. They hid from the presence of God. And we still do that, right? Paul wrote, again, we'll say it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it also continues to say this, and are justified and declared to be forgiven, embraced, accepted freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. You can read through the Old Testament and you can note all the times that God was with his people. And then he breaks through history and literally sends his son to physically be with people. They call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Jesus, it becomes personal. He says, I'm going to make this available show, I'm going to make this available to show you a life with God. Now, I remember uh, when I was younger, there was a police officer at the church. His name is Freddie. Freddie Ferrer. And he was a fun guy. He became known, uh, the church is in Martinez, even Creekside. And, and Freddie was kind of known as Martinez police officer. He was always in the schools, always doing fun things. He would host uh, movie nights when we were younger. He'd pull a big TV on his lawn and have free popcorn and he'd just be able to come watch movies. He was a really fun guy. He loved people. Loved being with people. And I remember one day we're, uh, we're driving and I'm with my brother, and we're going, and I see a cop car behind us. Woo! Lights go on, and I'm like, what did I do? It did nothing. I'm, I'm not speeding. I'm just, just going along. So I pull over, and of course, if you've ever been pulled over, your heart's pounding. And if you're a cop in the chamber, you're going, that's right, your heart should be pounding. You did something, right? But my heart's pounding, and I'm going, oh, what's going on? What's going to happen? Freddie comes and knocks on the window. He pulled us over just to say Hi. He saw us driving, pulled us over, and then he followed us to a restaurant. We all had lunch together. It was just, it was, it was Freddie. He wasn't pulling us over to condemn us, to convict us or anything. He just wanted to spend time with us. He was like, oh, it's the Warford boys. Let me light them up. And I knew he knew what he was doing. He'd freak us out. But we had a lot of fun with him. The whole point was he just wanted to spend time. He just wanted to have fun and be with us. I think that uh, if we're to put grace in words today, I think it would say it is a grace to be with Christ. It is grace to be at home with him, living with him and for him. And we can put, <laughs> we can touch the world with a hint of Jesus' grace and truth. And we get to do that when we're with people, when we spend time with those around us. And the more we understand grace, the more we're going to understand these things about grace and how it changes our lives. See, Bible says this, that grace brings salvation. Grace brings salvation. This is a part of God's grace that most of us know. And we kind of talked about it a little earlier, right? It's wonderful. It is foundational to our faith. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God. It's Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. This is the starting point of our life in Christ. But that's just the start. The good news is that the starting point is not just the finish line. It gets even better. See, grace gives us some life application points that we can apply here. Grace teaches us to say no. Grace teaches us to say no. God doesn't want us to be forever trapped in a cycle of sin and forgiveness. So grace keeps on working for us, teaching us how to resist temptation, how to resist ungodliness, how to make ourselves better, how to trust God more. We can call on the grace of God before we fall into sin. We can call on the grace of God when temptation starts hitting you and you know, oh man, this is going to be a big thing. This is going to come. We don't have to fall and then say, oh man, God, I messed up. I need your grace. We can call on the grace before we even dive into it. Say, God, I need you now. And grace can teach you to say no. Grace teaches us how to live. And there's so much more to, the, to being a Christ follower than saying no to sin. I think God's grace is available to help us replace our sinful habit patterns with self-control. 
so we can learn to live more upright and more godly lives. This is not the result of trusting in our works, but allowing grace to teach and work in us. And grace fills us with hope. There's a connection in all these verses we've read that life is not meant to be a desperate fight against sin. It's not, it's not also meant to be a narrow focus on godly living. See, in verse 13 in, in Titus, we see that it's God's grace that fills us with hope. Hope for this life and hope for the next. See, I don't think grace would allow us to rule over, or to allow sin to rule over us in our daily lives. Would grace leave us naked and bleeding on the side of the road? I don't think so. God's grace is more than wiping the slate clean week after week. God's grace is something that can teach us a new way to live under Jesus. If grace is the teacher, we're the students. And all this life that we live every day, work, home, school, friends, that's our classroom. That's where we get to go and learn and experience and have the chance to apply grace. If we possess the humility to become learners, God's grace not only transports us to eternity with him when we die, but it brings heaven a little bit closer to us while we live. You get to experience his righteousness here on earth. And this is the part of the good news, right? Grace is not only forgiveness. It teaches us how to grow into a life that is no longer captive to sin. We get to live in freedom, and that is amazing. I think too many people, can, we can be stuck in an unhealthy pattern. We can, we can just choose to say, oh, you know what? Because of grace, I just get to sin, and God will forgive me, and that's God's grace. So that's the, that's the, that's the cycle I'm going to live in. I guarantee you that is not God telling you to do that. That's the voice of the other guy. That's the other guy saying, it's all good. Just keep going at it. I don't want to listen to the voice of the adversary. I want to listen to Jesus. See, the adversary will, will whisper enticement before our sin and shout condemnation after. He's the one that will say, go ahead and do it. Oh, you're nothing. Where God says, yeah, you did that. Come see me. It's okay. I've got you. Now go and do it no more. He throws that truth at you while bringing you in the grace. Sin brings death, it's true, but God's grace wipes away that penalty and we're not held down by it anymore. It cleans the slate of sin. And even better, it does more than forgive. It raises us to life and teaches us how to live. John 8.11 says this, go and sin no more. God's message through grace is more than forgiveness. It's restoration. It's what he takes to defeat our sin. <laughs> he takes our sin, he will take those and turn them into an incredible redemption story. Because of his grace. Not saying the truth that wasn't important of what happened, but what I can do because of what you did is amazing. And then he says, go and sin no more, John 8, 11. Have we ever learned from sin? Like, seriously, have you ever done something and you learned from it? It's an example of God's grace. God is not only ready to forgive, he's eager to teach. And if we're open to his voice, even our sin can become an incredible teaching moment of grace in his hands. He shows us the path by correcting our steps, not only by insisting on obedience, but by revealing our hearts and allowing us to grow. For example, if I fall into anger, Jesus doesn't want to just look at me and say, hey, stop being angry, stop it. He allows me to find the source of what just happened. He allows me to, to dig deeper and learn from these moments so that I can be better coming out of it. He doesn't just say, yeah, you got angry, you sinned, we're done. He gets to get me the truth. He gets to say, this is what caused it. This is if you dive deeper, Dustin, this is where you get to open up your heart and this is what we get to work on. And then he teaches me through it, and I get to get closer to him because of it. He can take the biggest, the, the biggest anger issue I have, the biggest pride issue I have, which is going to be fantasy football this year. I know it. And he can turn that into incredible teaching moments. He can heal that weakness that led to sin. 
what he asks, what Jesus asks us, what he asks, he empowers. He says, go and sin no more, and he makes this command possible. He takes us to the source, and he gives us hope. This is the kind of resurrection, a resurrection from life of sin. Resurrection isn't just for Jesus, it's for us. We get to be resurrected and live with him because of grace. Our sin is not just the end of days. We get to accept the grace, the the gift we don't give, and it leads us into a new life, a newness of life. Sin puts us in the tomb, but Jesus rolls away the stone. And as often as we need him to roll it away, he will keep rolling it away. I'd like to invite the the worship team up this morning. And I want to ask you guys when you go home, uh, you can apply these verses to your life and, and your prayer life and, and as you journal and spend time with God. And, and, and let me explain how you can apply some grace in your prayers. When we're in our daily prayers, include something like this. Include, say, Spirit of God, open my eyes, open my heart to recognize where your grace is affecting me the most. Open my eyes to see where I need more of your grace. And then ask God this. Say, God, give me the truth. Say, God, I know I have your grace. I know you forgive me. Drop that truth bomb on me now. Where do I need to grow? Where do I need to see something changing? And then we get to apply it with people we see. We get to start practicing that balance of truth and grace. We get to say, God gave me an incredible balance where he shows me what's going on, but he loves me through it. And we get to go to people out there that disagree with our politics, disagree with our stance, disagree with our philosophies. We say, you know what? There may be some truth I'm going to say now, but I love you because of this. I get to show you grace and truth because God shows us grace and truth. Would you all stand with me? In the coming week, I challenge everyone uh, to ask God for some truth and know that when he gives you that truth, it is coming from the most graceful, <laughs> the most graceful God in the universe, the only God, right? But he will give it to you and love you through it and convict you and challenge you and move you forward. There may, be, uh, there may be some times where even here on a Sunday where we come, I want to be a church that shows grace and truth, where maybe something I, I said leaves you, leaves you feeling convicted. And I don't want anyone ever to leave here feeling guilty about something, but I do think it's good to leave feeling convicted because convicted means you know something needs to change. And we have a God who's all about it. A God who's all about it who says, yep, I see that. I know that. I knew that before you felt convicted about it. I knew it already. And I still love you. Let's work on it. We serve an amazing God. Grace is more than forgiveness, and when we balance it with truth, we get to experience an all-new side of him that maybe we all really, really need. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you that you are 100% grace and 100% truth. God, I ask that in our lives, we surround ourselves with people who are going to give us both, and I pray that we are people who show both. We don't just give truth bombs to hurt people. We, We don't... Berate other people to make ourselves feel better, God, but that we show them the grace that you show us and that we're able to be challenged, we're able to be moved, and we're able to live this life changed because of your grace. God, I thank you for who you are and for all you've done for us. We love you. And everybody said, amen.